If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Ephesians, we uh, are in a sermon series called Unveiling the Mystery, the mystery of God specifically found in the book of Ephesians. There's a lot of mysteries in the Bible, uh, and there's a lot that you can look at and say, wow, how did God do that? And that is absolutely a wonder. I remember being on vacation this summer and having a longtime child friend talk to me about, did Jonah really get swallowed by a fish? I mean, just tell me about how in the world did that happen? And so of all the mysteries, we're not unpacking that one. Specifically, the Apostle Paul, he talks about this mystery of God that has been hidden through the ages, that's all been revealed in Christ Jesus. So as we continue that, this is going to be part four of that, unveiling the mystery. It's unbelievable what God is going to reveal to us today in his word, uh, the mystery of our union with Christ. Well, way back in 1992, uh, when I entered into the ministry and entered into student ministry, I also entered in for the very first time to the world of Apple. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, being a student minister, uh, at that time all the videos, a lot of things you do in student ministry was a lot easier on a PowerBook, uh, on a MacBook, uh, an Apple product than it was with a PC. So that began my journey uh, I've never left that journey. Uh, I've stayed with them all the way through my career, and I love their products. Uh, this is not a sales pitch for them, but what I love about them is the fact that most of their things all sync together. Have you ever noticed that? If you have an Apple product, if you have a PowerBook or a MacBook, it usually syncs right up with your iPad. Uh, if you have an iPhone, boom, it, it's, it's, like, it's like magic. I don't know how that works, but it's absolutely fantastic for a low-techy guy like me uh, to have things that seamlessly work. That is what I'm looking for. Well, you know, I'm a big fan, but recently uh, my iPad... Uh, gave up the ghost. Uh, thank goodness I bought it at Costco. It's God's place to shop. I love Costco. And Costco, I only not only got it at Costco, I put it on the Costco card, which maybe you don't know this, not a plug for them either, but you get an extra year of warranty using their, their, their credit card. I think they actually went away from that. So still under warranty. Got it. Got a new one. Matter of fact, got a better one. Upgraded, right? For free. Awesome. Save the church money. Your good hard dollars. Tie dollars. I'm looking out for you, right? So I'm all excited. Guess what? The new version. The new version, the Apple Pencil, you had to get a new uh, Apple Pencil along the way, does not work anymore with the new version. You have to go back to the old Apple Pencil. Thank God, because I'm a good steward, I kept my old Apple Pencil. And the problem is, it doesn't sync anymore because they change the size of these things because they're greedy people that want new money. And every time you get a new product, they want something new. It might not true. And so no longer can I use my Apple Pencil with my Apple iPad because it doesn't sync. Now watch this. They made me buy an adapter. Yeah, it only costs like 10 or 15 bucks, but for 10 or 15 bucks, now I can have an adapter for the old one to be synced with the new one so that everything works. So much for Apple syncing together. 
All right, here's the point. We were wired by God. An amazing, beautiful mystery is that we were created for God and by God. And we were created for God and by God, and we were made in his image. God's amazing because he creates everything, and he's so powerful. He does it by speaking it into existence. Out of nothing, he creates everything. He's incredible. And all things hold together in him. It's amazing. But he's made us for him. He's made us to know and love him, and he made us to be known and loved by him. But something happened along the way, and it didn't take very long. Our very first parents, Adam and Eve, they messed up. They sinned. And although we were created to be forever synced with God, because of sin, we are separated from God. And we will forever be separated from God unless we find the right adapter to be uh, once again linked to him. Well, the adapter is not something you buy on Amazon. I mean, my goodness, you can buy about anything on Amazon. The adapter God provides himself. The adapter for us to be synced back up with God is... Yeah, exactly right. Hey, listen, the pastor says the name, never go wrong yelling out the name Jesus. So that is so true. And so in Jesus, Jesus is God's adapter, if you will. Let's, let's call him a savior. He reconnects us to the God who created us to be known and loved by him and to know and love him. And the only way that we can have this union again with God is through his son, Jesus. So as we've been going through and unveiling the mystery that we found, a mystery that's been hidden through the ages, Scripture says, in the book of the ages, and one of the mysteries is, is, is our connection to him. Now this mystery, it's interesting, this is week four, you may want to say, well, Jeff, are there four mysteries that are revealed in the book of Ephesians? No, it's really one overarching mystery. But as you unfold the mystery, it gets like, wow, I didn't realize this facet of it. I didn't realize this. So each time you unfold it, it kind of shows us something new about God. But the overarching profound mystery, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 10 and 11, is this. Now watch this. That God is uniting all things in heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. So that's kind of one of these big, huge, bold statements that God has in his Bible saying, everything that is broken, Jesus is going to fix. Everything that's been separated by uh, our sin and brokenness in the Father, he's going to bridge. And he's going to unite all things in heaven and all things on earth. So that's the unbelievable overarching mystery. It's been hidden through ages. How is God going to do this? And, and the Old Testament whispers some promises of a prophet to come like Moses. And it whispers promises like a king that will come like David. And it whispers promises that there's a seed who will come to make all things new. And that mystery is all of them are, find their yes, all of them are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Well, it unites us. So there's this mystery of God uniting vertically heaven and earth in Christ Jesus. But there's also a mystery that's being unveiled, and it's this, that he unites us vertically. I'm sorry, uh, horizontally. Horizontally, and it says that Jew and Gentiles are made into one new humanity. That in Christ Jesus, those who were Gators and Seminoles, Democrats, Republicans, Northerners, Southerners, those who have been separated in Christ are united to make one. It's amazing. It really is. As a matter of fact, to the Jews, there were the Jews, and then there were the Gentiles, or the barbarians. It was kind of like, those who are in, everybody else. But in Christ Jesus, we have been uh, locked together. So that the third week, we looked at, okay, it's through the church, through us, the mystery that through us, God is proclaiming this, this mystery, that in Christ, he's uniting all things. 
that we're like the vehicle. We're like the A-plan for God to, to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And so as we go on today, we're going to see that there's a profound mystery. That's, it's literally in the Greek that we're going to look at that's so good this morning. And the mystery is this, our union with Christ. Our union. If you are a Christian, and I don't mean just a churchgoer or someone maybe who had something done to it, but if you are uh, saying that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you've been made new in Christ Jesus, you have a union with Christ that is a profound mystery, that is so absolutely beautiful. We're going to look at three things of this. The mysterious marriage union of Christ and his church. Uh, he says that he calls us his bride. What does that all mean? So we're going to look at that for a moment. Also, this mysterious union of Christ as the head of the church, and the church is the body of Christ. You've been around Christianity long enough, you've probably heard that, Christ the head of the church. You've probably heard us called the body of Christ. Well, what does that mean? And then the profound implications of our union with Christ. So let's turn to God's Word. It's Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to look at a passage that you'll hear oftentimes in a wedding. Uh, it's a very, very familiar passage. And now, now I got I to say this as a preacher. Um, it's a little bit of a uh, uh, disclaimer, I guess you would call it. We're going to read God's Word, and it's primarily focused on marriage. And it's primarily focused on the responsibilities of a husband to a wife and the wife to a husband. But the mystery is this. As you hear me read God's holy and errant word, you're going to be wondering, is he talking about the church or is he talking about marriage? Is he talking about marriage or church? And the answer is yes. He's talking about the church and he's talking about marriage because God is using marriage and the things that he tells us uh, to reveal the things about himself and who we are in Christ Jesus. Now, married folks, Make sure you don't elbow your spouse during some of the reading of this, all right? But I want all of you, those of you who are going to be married, uh, those of you who are married, uh, those of you that used to be married, those of you who maybe never be married, this is for us, the children of the living God. So hear the word of God. Now as you listen, listen for the church. Ready? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he, Christ, might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. But we are members of his body." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for this profound mystery, this profound mystery of marriage, that two will become one. God, I thank you for the joy of knowing that mystery for 36 years to an amazing godly woman who's with our grandkids today. Um, Lord, but I thank you for the profound mystery that Christ is uh, the bridegroom and that we are the bride, that we are in union with him, sinful man and holy God, united and in union in Christ Jesus. Oh God, may your spirit come with power through the preaching of your word. Lord, everybody needs to understand the freedom, the joy, the marvel of what it means to be united to Christ. Father, if there's someone here who's not united to Christ, may today be the day. But for all of us who are yours, who maybe don't even dig very deeply into this profound mystery, oh God, open up your word. Speak through a broken sinner like me. Give us ears to hear your voice. Give us minds to understand your word. Hearts that would embrace your love. And feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel that unites us to Christ, God, use those things to make us more like your Son, our Savior Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. So the first thing we see, isn't it interesting as you read through that Ephesians 5? Is it marriage? Is it church? Is it church? Is it the marriage? Yes. Is this mysterious marriage union of Christ and his church. Now, you got to understand, marriage is an incredibly important theme in God's story. As a matter of fact, the Bible begins with a wedding, and the Bible ends with a wedding feast. When he wants to talk about how he loves us, he calls us his bride. And so marriage is like the covering of, of the Bible. It's like the beginning or the end. It's also, it's kind of like language of love. It's like the binding of, of the Bible uh, is marriage. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to be married to understand the Bible, but you have to understand this. God wants to tell you he loves you and he's going to use the language of marriage. As we read the Bible, we realize that God created marriage for himself. He created all things. Uh, as he created all things and he looked around and said, man, this is, this is awesome. This is good. Something that was particularly good as you and me made in his image. But in, in God's creation, there was one thing that wasn't good. And that was that man was alone. Well, why isn't it good that man was alone? Some of you guys love being alone. Some of you guys love having your alone time, right? Uh, so why wasn't it good that man was alone? Because he was lonely? Ah, that's not really it. Because man, watch this, man could not on his own complete that which God had called him to do. God called him to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with his glory. How do you fill the earth with his glory? You fill it with his image. All right, it's a male and a female, it's required. So, so God makes Adam realize, uh-oh, I don't have a helpmate that's efficient for this. I can't do what God's called me to do. He makes a helpmate. He makes woman. The two will become one so that God's plan of filling the earth with his glory would be successful. Listen to what Genesis 2.24 says right after he makes woman. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. I love when I'm in marriage counseling. I make sure that the man knows this. It starts with you. A man leaves his father and mother. He holds fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Now, just let your mind be a little bit blown away by God. He, he had one in Adam. He makes two out of Adam, male and female. As soon as he makes two, what does God do? I'm going to make them back together one. I mean, it's just an amazing mystery of what he has done. So that God will fulfill his plan to fill the earth with his glory. And that's all part of the mystery of marriage. Hit pause. There's a lot of argument about marriage these days. A lot of argument about who should be married. And isn't love just love is love? Well, if God is the creator of marriage, he creates it for a reason. And he creates it for his glory, for our good. But marriage, because he's the creator, should be done according to the creator's guidelines. And that is a male and a female, the two coming together to become one. But you know, what's amazing is this profound mystery, the mystery of marriage that Paul is talking about isn't just earthly marriage. He's talking about this profound mystery that Jesus and the church become one. So that's the profound mystery of the two becoming one. Uh, As I read in, in Genesis 231. That's true with Adam and Eve. The two become one. Watch this. It's true with the church and us. The two become one. Just as Adam was told to leave his father and mother, which obviously he didn't have, but for the future generations, guess what Jesus did? He left a father. Guess what Jesus did? He sought after his wife. Guess what Jesus did? He clings to us, right? Uh, The two become one. Uh, that's just a beautiful thing. So, so Paul is saying that he quotes it right there in Ephesians 5. He quotes Genesis 2.31, talks about the two becoming one, and he immediately says, by the way, this is a profound mystery because it's talking about Christ and the church. Let that wash over you. Whoa. He's saying two become one in Christ? That is amazing. Well, what happens in marriage? Well, you declared married. Uh, the two become one. What is yours is hers. What is hers is yours. You share that reality together. So let's think about that a minute with Christ. What is ours becomes Christ. What is ours that's unique to us, that he didn't give us only one thing? Anybody know what it is? Our sin, our brokenness, So our sin and brokenness, this is what we bring to the equation. And he says, what was yours? Your sin will become me, mine. Your brokenness will become mine. Through through my brokenness, you'll be healed. I'm going to wear your sin. I'm going to absorb the wrath for your sin. I'm going to take it. Um, Our sin and death become his. For God took him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to become our sin, so that in him, him we become the righteousness of God. So what is Christ? It's Christ's righteousness. It's Christ's beauty. It's perfection. So here's this amazing union. It happens all on the cross. He takes our sin. We take his righteousness. Now, hold on, folks. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he gives us the righteousness of God. Not just the righteousness of man, but this transaction happens where we have the righteousness of God. What does the mirror tell you about yourself? that you're not good enough, that you're broken, that you're needy, that you keep stumbling and messing up just like my mirror does, that you got to work a little harder, try a little bit better, and just straighten yourself up. But you know in the gospel, here's what it says, God took all of our sin, not just some of it, all of it, and paid for it. And he gave us the righteousness of Christ, and he robes us in it. 
Delight yourself in that reality. Is is this marriage in Christ Jesus, what was his is ours, what was ours is his. What an exchange. You know, uh, our family's got this terrible tradition where they'll look at a couple, and not you guys, we'll never do this to you as far as you know, and say who was, the, uh, who was striving and who was lowering themselves for that. You know, who, who, who was the one, like, like Rux and Seth are getting married back there, and everybody knows that, that you know, Seth, you, you really are outside your league with, with Rux, uh, but uh, no, just kidding you, but, but love you. So we really are greatly outside the reality of what we have. So we have the righteousness of God, uh, his righteous life, but it's more than that. That in Christ we have his atoning death. I want you to know, hear what the Apostle Paul says in the Gospel of, I'm sorry, in the book of Romans, Romans 6. He says this, uh, 6 5. For if we have been united with him, that's what we have, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. It's saying that in the gospel, this union with Christ is as if we died. Because he died. But there's even more than the reality. We have his glorious resurrection. Romans 6, 5, again, For if we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection and life. So Christ's death for us, as if we were there, Christ's resurrection, as if we were there, that victory is ours. Even his glorious ascension. Ephesians 2.5 says this, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that's all of us before Christ, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know if you heard that, But it says, if you are in Christ, you have been seated in the heavenly places. That's past tense, E.D. You're already there. As Christ is there, we're there. I mean, the the taste of heaven is there. That reality, that victory is ours. Our head is there. We are as well. In Christ Jesus, in this union with him, it says in Ephesians 1.3, that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms are ours in Christ Jesus. Everything that Jesus has earned as the only obedient son, everything that Jesus has as the only begotten son, all the blessings of the Father flow to us through the Son, and he holds back none for himself. All the spiritual blessings are ours in the heavenly places. Even his heavenly inheritance, Ephesians 1, 11, 14, and 18, it says, "...in him we've obtained an inheritance." having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possessions of it to the praise of his glory. 18, having the eyes of our heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which you've been called, which is the riches of his glorious inheritance in in Christ. Hit pause. You're going to make it home because God's guaranteed it in Christ. You're going to be safe because Christ is already there. Because everything that was Christ has been shared with you in this union. So what Satan wants to do is whisper in your ear and just tell you you're not good enough. And you really should be better along. And we probably should be further along. And we do want to get better. But the reality is who we are in Christ truly sets us free. So they have this this mysterious union of Christ, the head of the church, 
and the church is the body of Christ. It's, it's, that's, that's that reality. Our mysterious union with Christ just goes beyond marriage. He says that if we are in Christ, there's this union in marriage, but we're also part of the same body. He is the head. We are his body. I'm going to explain to you what it means that he is our head. Theologians talk about Jesus as being our federal head, which means that he perfectly represents us. As Jesus goes, so we go. According to Scripture, there have been two Adams, the first Adam and the second Adam, who represent all of mankind. And as the first Adam goes, so does all of mankind. When he sins, we all sin. When Christ is righteous, we are all righteous. So Christ, our federal head, perfectly represents us. And Adam, our head, represents us as, as well. As Adam goes, so goes the world. How did Adam do? Well, let's look at Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so uh, death spread to all men, because all of sin. Whew. According to Scripture, we all have fallen short because of Adam. We have our own sin, too. But there's good news. As, the, as Christ goes, so goes the church. That in him... For if, it says again in Romans, for if because of one man's trans de trespass, death reigned throughout one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, for as, in Christ, uh, sorry, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ Jesus all shall be made alive. How is it with you today? Which Adam represents you? The first one in the sinfulness and brokenness? We're all born that way. Or the second one, Jesus. And in him we have forgiveness and grace and life and life abundantly. Because why? He's our federal head that perfectly represents us. Those of you who are golfers, you know right now, I don't know, don't tell me the score. Uh, the, the, the British Open's going on. Um, and so uh, it's, it's a pretty amazing um, and I, I, I'm in awe of golfers who really can know how to play, like John Ward. But for the rest of us hacks, isn't it good to know that when we get to heaven, we don't turn in our golf card? Because I got a bunch of triple bogeys and balls hit out of bounds, and I mean, I, I, I'm a mess. I get to turn in Christ's card, and it's perfect. And so do you. What a beautiful reality. In him we live. Christ is not only our federal head, he represents us every Everything he did is credited to our account. He's our authoritative head. The church is to, to submit to Christ in all things. We have a Savior. We have a King. We have a Lord. We have one who's above us. His name is Jesus. He's our Lord, our King, our Savior. We are to live in submission to him. And so why does God say these things like submit? And how much do we love the word submit? We hate it. We're Americans. We love freedom. But we tell you, we find true freedom in submitting to him the one who loves us enough to lay his life down for us. So why did God give us all these things in marriage? It reflects how we're supposed to act with him. Church, we don't go to God's word and say, I wanted to say this because I want people not to be offended. I, I, I wanted to come out this way so I'm culturally relevant. This is God's word. We got to submit to Christ in all things, even when it hurts. Because why? He's our authoritative head. But he's more than that. Christ is our loving head. You know this about Jesus? He gives himself up for us. When I pray for my marriage, 
I'm like, Lord, help me to be more like Jesus. Help me to give myself up for Katie. Help me, help me to lay my life down as Christ did. I'm so selfish. And I so much want to be the king and to be served. But what did Jesus show us is, is that if we really love one another, we give ourselves up. We give up. Uh, he did that to cleanse us. He does that to nourish and cherish us. And what an incredible union we have with Christ. Hey, let's, let's talk about the implications. The profound implications of our union with Christ. We're almost done. But here it is. Christian, if you are in Christ, and that's all true born-again believers, you're free. Why? Because Romans 8.1 is true. And what in the world does Romans 8.1 say? Therefore, in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Why? How can holy God look at me and say no condemnation? Because he sees Jesus. Because I'm robed in the righteousness of God. Because he sees the blood of Christ that, that, that washed away my sins. I mean, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, church, if we get this, we sing. If we get this, we dance. If we get this, we know the amazing love of God, that nothing will separate us from his love because the sin that separates us has been fully paid by the Savior. There's no condemnation. Quit condemning yourself. Quit condemning others. There's no condemnation in those in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to be holy. Of course we should. We want to be like him. But don't let the enemy whisper in your ear what you're not. And don't let him beat you up and tell you you're just not good enough. Because you are good enough only because Jesus is good enough. Right? Amen? And you're never going to be good enough on your own, but you will always be good enough in him. What an amazing paradox. We're holy and blameless in Christ's sight. That's amazing. There's no combination. Second thing, we're being cleansed. He's Again, in that, that Ephesians 5, that, that Jesus is cleansing the church. He's washing us with the word, right? Uh, he's washing. He wants to present us spotless, without a wrinkle, without a blemish. Anybody older here that gets a few blemishes through the time of their life? How about in Christ Jesus? He's going to wash them all away. So here's a picture. He makes us perfect in Christ, but he also makes us holy. One of my favorite passages is Hebrews 10, 13. For in one sacrifice, well, listen to this, for in one sacrifice, he has forever perfected, perfect tense, it's done with, with ongoing consequences, he has forever perfected those he is making ongoing holy. In Christ Jesus, man, he's enough, but he's also making you something. It's God, he's making you holy. He's gonna cleanse you. And so now what do we do? We live for him. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, Paul writes. That's that death. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Church, that's where our call is. The life we now live, we live for Christ, for his glory and for his honor. Only way that we could ever truly live is we got to be synced with God. The only way that we're ever synced with God, Amazon can't provide it, only Jesus can. His life, death, and resurrection is the only way. The only way for us to flourish is for us to be in that union with Christ. My last thought is this. Is there a gap between the good news of the gospel and your reality of your life? 
Does there seem to be a lack of power? Does there seem to be like this distance between what Christ has done and what really is going on in your life? I'm going I'm to exhort you, church, turn toward our union with Christ. The mystical, profound mystery of who we are in Jesus. May that be the fuel, the motivation that drives us to Christ-likeness, but doesn't drive us to despair because we already know that we have a union with him that can't be broken. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, would say, I'm going to tell you a profound mystery. And the profound mystery that the two shall become one. That that the, the groom, the man, shall leave his father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. And God, when we realize that that amazing, beautiful mystery of marriage is for Christ and his church as well. We realize that Christ came not just to tell us about God, not just to open up a door for us to the Father, but he came to marry us, to make us his own, to cherish us and nourish us, to cleanse us. It's, it's incredible that, that Christ Jesus, that you are, are the head and we are the body and we are yours and we are loved. We're your beloved bride. So God, we pray that that union in Christ would set us free, that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus and yet we'd long to be more like our Savior. Oh God, may this church flourish in its union with Christ, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.